I wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I can follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top yeah. of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. At 95 Miami, is, is my fondest name. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with Wes Worsham and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave for the love of the game. And I mowed the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by McCoy's Auto Repair and Radford VA. Virginia Tech beat Tulane 41-20 to in the military bowl. Rob, how you feeling, buddy? I feel... Uh, vindicated on top of feeling awesome vindicated that's how i feel yeah man uh, you you had it you had it that score right we'll talk about it in a second why don't you give us a cheers <laughs> kick this thing off cheers to the slop uh uh our mother was a mother and we we went out there <laughs> we fell victim to holding on to the ball and ball security a few times but it didn't do enough damage and we came away with an awesome military bowl win Cheers to all the fans that went out to the game. I know you traveled down um, to be a part of some of the festivities that were going on that day. But cheers to everybody showing up and the team showing out for what was a awesome game. Cheers. Yeah, I did make my way down to Annapolis. I was a part of an indoor tailgate going on at the at the hotel, and we did a little live broadcast with Billy and Pat and all the other guys were over there at the uh, the Graduate Hotel. It was a lot of fun. And you can go to the YouTube channel and find the live stream. And there were some interviews on there that were quite funny, including, and I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about the guy impersonating Frank Beamer, some of the Billy and Pat comments and quotes. Like it, it's it was, it's worth a watch and it's not too long. It's maybe like 30 minutes, but just, just for the Frank Beamer impersonator. And I honestly, like, I don't know that guy's name right now. I can't think of it off the top of my head. He's amazing. It was incredible. (laughs) You sent me the link. I, I've never heard a lot of, um, I've, I've heard people make Frank Beamer quotes and use the quotes a lot because he had so many of them. I've never heard anybody do a Frank Beamer impersonation ever. And that was spot on. It was. I mean, you close out. your eyes. You think it's it's two thousand and one Frank. Like that's. <laughs> but obviously, we were playing the Green Wave, and so he started talking about riding a boogie board on a wave and like doing the boogie board motion, and I was just like dying. Like it was <laughs> so funny. Um, but anyway, go check that out on YouTube. That win for us, it gives us the first winning season since twenty nineteen. And even 2019 didn't end with a bowl win. To win the bowl, have a winning season, I mean, it feels pretty darn good. You'd have to go back to 20, I think it was 
16, right? Because we won the Belk Bowl in that comeback. Yes. That me, me and yeah. you famously yeah. watched at Hooters. <laughs> famously, we watched it at Hooters. But what a, uh, what, a, what a day. Yeah. What an end to this season. And we're going to get into just kind of the reaction to what do we look like going forward? How do we feel about the program going forward? But first, let's start with some news and notes. And we will start with the playoff and the semis that happened the other day. Michigan beat Alabama in overtime, 27 to 20. And that game, I felt like both teams didn't want to take it. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yes. to Bama's credit, they they kind of weathered the storm and had the lead, and it looked like they were going to close it out. And Saban in a year when his team's not perfect and doesn't have a perfect quarterback was in pole position until that drive by Michigan. The the teams very much reversed roles from the first half to the second half. Alabama was just getting walked over by Michigan's defense, who was completely controlling the line of scrimmage and causing a lot of problems. Uh, and you knew that couldn't carry on and that there would be some adjustments at halftime. I didn't anticipate Alabama to make that stark of a change and that much adjustment because they looked like a completely different team in the second half. And unfortunately for Michigan, all of the benefits that they had in the first half kind of went against them. And they had the, you know, that, that muffed punt um, return for the touchdown. They, they just, they really shot themselves on the foot in a lot of instances that they could have taken a little bit more of a lead and given themselves a little bit of buffer into that second half and credit to Alabama for putting up a really tough uh, second half, but Michigan ultimately held on. Yeah. That, that drive and that catch by Wilson was so awesome. I think so it was cool. Wilson, the number one yeah. on the side. And he had just caused a penalty a couple plays before that. A bad penalty. A bad penalty. And he redeemed himself with that. And then he scored the touchdown to tie the game. I'm pretty sure. And yeah, so, me and my wife were talking about it because he had the block in the back that uh-huh. didn't need to be done. And then he came back, he had a big play because he had the next long play. And then he also caught the uh, the touchdown. So immediately redeemed himself, <laughs> but he was. Yeah. <laughs> he did a Lloyd Christmas, man. He, yes. he totally redeemed himself. But Michigan ends up winning and now they're favorites in the title game. And we're going to talk about the title game at the end of the show, but let's get to the other game. Washington hung on to beat Texas 37 to 31. And in this game, Michael Penix was throwing dimes like into the tightest windows, perfect throws. When was the last time you've ever seen a college quarterback make some of those throws into that small of windows? I mean, there were a couple windows where it was on the one long pass into the um, the center. It was like a 35-yard pass, 40-yard pass. He The guy had everybody draped over him, and the ball came into a window that must have only been 10 inches big right into his hands. I, have, I cannot remember a college quarterback being that just lethal with you know some of the accuracy on those balls. It was crazy. Yeah, it really was amazing. And each one, I was like, Oh my God, that throw was amazing. And then it would happen again and again and like down the sideline. And he was great. And they kind of, they were in control of that game. It, and they got a 10 point lead with like two and a half minutes left. And I think it was 10 points. And they, uh, 
it looked like it was over. Like it, it, Texas was going to need a miracle. And damned if they didn't almost get that miracle. They get the ball back. They're driving. They they have a, several shots at the end zone, including a final one where like the DB makes that swipe and swats yep. the ball away. And Washington almost lost that game, even, yeah. even though they controlled the whole time. Beautiful coverage on that. But yes, way too dangerous. And they they almost lost this game. It was an awesome game. Yeah. Both, games Both games were, were great. great. Well, I, th- this yeah, We're going to look back and say, you know, this was one of the best playoffs, I think, for, for a while because the games were so tight. But Texas, again, it... it Washington controlled this game and Texas would not go quietly into the night. Uh, we'll go with the, you know, the independence day quote. So it was awesome. Yeah. Um, they, but yeah. I think Texas could have helped themselves out a bit by running the ball more. I think that was yeah. some of the commentary on the cover three and some other places that they really didn't run the ball enough. They only had 28 carries to like 43 throws. Now I know they were down, especially at the end, but Earlier in the game, like their running backs, despite not having their top guy with the ACL tear, like they they could have run the ball more and to keep yes. Penix off the field because every time they came on the field, those three wide receivers, I mean, it's essentially like a, an NFL quarterback and NFL wideouts every time yeah. out. And so, like, yeah. it's just so hard to stop. You need to keep them off the field. And I would imagine that's what Michigan is going to try to do in the next game. <laughs> I would absolutely agree that. And I think, how do you feel about, not not to forecast too much, but uh, how do you feel about Michigan's defense versus versus Texas and their defense? It, the the big uglies up front for Texas are just nasty. I, I mean, those guys are huge. They're the defensive tackles. Yes. Yeah, they, they have really good inside pressure on Texas. I think with Michigan – you might actually get a little bit more edge rush than than Texas has, uh, but it it's close. The, the thing about Washington is they their offensive line has played so well. Penix does not take a lot of sacks. No, no one's really gotten to him much this season, and he's skilled at getting rid of the ball too. So even if that pressure is coming in, is he able to elude it? Is he able to get rid of the ball without taking the sack? Even if there is a bit more pressure, but. It's going to be a battle. I can't wait to see this game. I'm actually surprised the line's sitting at four and a half. We'll give a little bit more analysis at the end of the show. Yep. CFB Monday, the show I've been doing all season long, except for maybe the last couple weeks, is doing the final show of CFB Monday on the National Championship Monday, January 8th. Next Monday, we're doing the National Championship Special, is what we're going to call it. We're going to have Pat and Billy on there. We're going to have Rob on there. Uh, Sam Jesse's going to be on uh, many, many guests. There will be a lot of different dudes giving their opinions. For obvious reasons, we can't broadcast the game, but it will be on. We'll be updating you on the game. Save a screen for our broadcast because it's going to be fun. Yeah. Is that black tie? (laughs) No, no black tie required. uh, We're both wearing hats tonight. I might not wear a hat. How about that? Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'll I'll put gel in my hair maybe. Uh, So uh, I'm very excited for this it's something you 
uh, you in particular uh, have mentioned and I have agreed with that we've talked about doing for a long time. Mm -hmm. So it's awesome that it's finally happening and for a huge, awesome game. I think I might give you a first question to the first guest too. And it's a good guest. It's a very good guest. We'll get those announcements Mm -hmm. out ASAP, but he might be known as the voice of the Hokies. Oh, oh, wow. I, uh, I would love to ask him a question. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, so make sure you're hanging out with us. 7.30 p.m. is the kickoff time listed. We'll probably be going live right around then. But right as the kick goes, the Sons of Saturday channel, we will go live and you will see our four smiling faces before we bring on our guest. So get ready for that next Monday. Roster update, Rob. A couple things happened since we last recorded with French and Doug, which was a really fun episode, Jack Hollifield, Dax's brother, entered the portal, and that was on the heels of Hunter McLean, one of our other offensive linemen, entering the portal. So we're losing a couple of the big guys up front. Uh, we knew that some attrition was coming. We know that the numbers are going to be crunched, and this won't be the last. Once the mm-hmm. semester starts, you know we're going to see some more, and after spring we'll see some more, but... Uh, Jack, with his brother being such a a long term and and great hokey and Dax, like it stinks that his career didn't work out. Uh, maybe because yeah. I think he came in as a tight end. Like maybe if he yeah. played a different position or the coaching staff didn't turn over, his career could have been different. But Jack, thanks for being hokey, and we'll miss you. And then Hunter, we barely knew ye, but uh, we also wish him the best. It was also said that Grant Wells will be moving on. And that's how it was put, moving on from the program. I don't know if that means he's transferring or he's retiring from football or or what. I, I'm not sure of his eligibility, but that was a quote from Pry that, that Wells will be moving on. So there will be a new QB, two next year. Yes, there will. And um, I wish him the best of luck. I, I don't know what the plan would be if he's, if he's planning on transferring. And – but – uh, I hope he finds a, an awesome landing spot or whatever he does. Uh, best wishes in his ventures. Ahead. Yeah. He's already married. He's a good looking kid. He'll land on his feet. I'm sure. Yeah. He'll uh, be good. Thanks for, thanks for your service. Grant Wells. In terms of the portal additions, de- defensive tackle, Kelvin Gilliam committed to the Hokies on December 7th. He's transferring in from Oklahoma, but this is another player from Highland Springs. This is a Virginia kid from that hotbed of Richmond that we've been going back to over and over again. And he was originally a composite four-star edge rusher in the class of 2021, the 107th ranked player in the country. He was a very, very high recruit there. I'm not sure anyone on our roster would have been a higher recruit coming out of high school than, than Gilliam. So the talent is there now in terms of what he contributed to Oklahoma, he got on the field, but it wasn't a ton. He had a lot of injuries and I think there's a reason that he's transferring. I, I think there's still something that, that can be gotten out of there. I mean, we saw Phil Darius Payne, you know, yeah. transfer over from Nebraska. He took an injury, still was a huge contributor for us this year. And so I, I think a guy with this talent, I'm excited about bringing him in. I think it's good. And a position of need as we have talked about. So more depth. You never know who's going to be the one that steps up, uh, and or a couple that step up. So let's. Um, I'm good. And Andy's coming back to you know 
home coming back right. to Virginia, which is nice. So uh, he'll be local and and playing for you know a school that we would have loved to get him you know from the beginning. So we'll see how he develops in uh, in the Orange Maroon. And J.C. Price just had some success with APR, had some success with a former transfer and filled Darius Payne. The defensive line had a lot of sacks this year. So this could be a good landing spot for him and Copeland and in the S peoples. Like we knew that we had a weakness at defensive tackle going into this offseason, and boy, did they attack it. This is yep. this is really nice to load up on some of those big boys. Other big news. Nick Gallo coming back to the program. That was a couple nights ago. We weren't sure what Nick was going to do. I was. We've been waiting for this announcement. You talked about a blocking tight end, Robbie. Well, I think we might have gotten him. <laughs> I think. I think. I just. I talked it into existence. Let's put it that way. And he's back. I, I think that is a a huge return. I think knowing how many people were returning for next year and the positivity helping you know in the program, how we finished off the season. I. I there's it makes a ton of sense. It's a position of need for us. We have another tight end that's transferring out there. All of this makes logical sense mm-hmm. um, for, I think, both sides. So I am very glad that he will be sticking around in the program for 2024. I just wanted to take a couple seconds here to talk about National Signing Day. It was a couple weeks back. It was before the bowl, but we never did a podcast together to talk about it. It was really cool with the coverage. They live streamed it this year, and it was like the VT draft. It was just like the NFL draft with the little ESPN tone and everything. And there was a couple guys in this class. We were fighting off people up until the last minute to sign, like Reddish. Like I know Ohio State was trying to just try to steal him away. But when you look at the class as a whole, six of the 19, well, it's now 20 guys because (laughs) some of my notes were done before. But if you include Gilliam, that's 20 guys. That's seven of the 19 guys are from Virginia, including Copeland and Gilliam. And then two more from Maryland and four more are from North Carolina, including Peoples, which got, I think the Peoples thing got a little dicey too, with a little bit of like, will he or won't he go back to Duke after we talked about it? He yep. did a podcast with the two, four, seven guys. Uh, mm-hmm. We should be good. <laughs> I think that was just, that just dropped the other day. I think Peoples is is in the boat, and we are good. But that is a ton of guys in the footprint to to bring Local. into the program, and some of the guys that maybe didn't start out as ours coming back to the footprint, which we just talked about, which is what Pry has been trying to do with these relationships. So. I think the strategy is working. Yes. If, if, in my opinion, I think like as we move forward here and, and getting this bowl win, there are more and more things for him to sell. Is that your take on it? Yeah. I think more things for him to sell um, players coming back, which is showing it just the, not the attrition. It also shows a commitment to uh, getting guys NIL money, which is important in picking what school you're going to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's that money's making its way to you right away or whether you think, hey, if I improve next year, is there a way for me to to get some of that? That um, I think goes a long way. Shoring up things with the high school. A lot of those players, even if they're going elsewhere, probably stay in touch with local coaches. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they're pro- so if you can, there's a little bit of uh, additional benefit you can get from shoring up things with the high school coaches in and around uh, Virginia. 
Uh, and that's if they're staying in touch with those people while they're at other schools, it's like, Hey, have you thought about if you're coming back, you know, give a look back to the Hokies and, and it could be a fit for you. You know, when we were kind of rolling, even in the early 2010s, and we would still miss out on a lot of high profile recruits, mm -hmm. we would finish second, we would finish third. And then they're gone. They no, there wasn't many transfers, whatever. There is value to finishing mm -hmm. second and third now. Like yeah. to make sure that you keep that relationship good up until the end, because APR comes back around. Gilliam comes back around. Copeland, you know, I, I don't know if we ever recruited Copeland the first time, but you get my point. Like yeah. second place, it may be second place for a year. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's so critical with the transfer portal to make sure you're you're even if you don't think you have a shot with some of these higher end guys to take a shot because they might end up in your lap in a couple of years. Yeah, the I spent some time in Ohio talking with I was out with uh, four guys that are all huge Ohio State fans and they were talking we got to talking about the status of where college football sits and all of those sorts of things. And my comment to them was, you know, they look at everything from perennial top 10 football status, right? And I think what they were missing and what I was trying to articulate to them is what you and I have talked about is the parity that is happening right now has never been greater given how much flexibility there is amongst the players to be able to move. Mm -hmm. It used to be you go to Alabama, you got to ride the bench, wait your, you know, two years. If not, if you want to transfer, you're going to have to sit out a year. And so you're like, okay, I'll stick around in Alabama. And they had these loaded rosters. Those players that can now move and go to other programs is, is causing this mountain to, to spread out. Mm -hmm. The bell curve is getting a lot wider um, for, for teams and there's more people coming to the middle. And I think we saw that this year in the rankings and what was happening with teams and some of the teams that have elevated themselves, um, over the last few years. And that to your point is why coming in second and third is important because yes, that player may go to Ohio state and that player may go to Alabama or wherever the case may be or Georgia. But if they end up you know, riding the bench and they get stir crazy and they want to get out or go somewhere else, then you want to be that team that could go. And that doesn't mean we know we're not going to have the same um, first team roster as a Georgia, as an Alabama, as an Ohio State. You just have to you just have to understand that's where college football is. The goal isn't to have that type of, of class. The goal is to build the team that's just underneath it and have things fall the right way and get it put together a good season and then punch some guys in the nose and punch it above your weight class and then make something happen. Yep. That's that's what the goal is now. So you gotta have and be in a good position for those guys that don't necessarily make it um, or they get injured or something weird happens. And then you're right there to, if they want to come back to. to it is interesting with the portal and NIL that even schools that may not be in the top 25, they can ante up some money and they can get one really good four-star, maybe even a five-star. Like I know Missouri has some crazy, state laws where they can allow high school players to make NIL money if they go to an in-state school. So you saw yeah. Mizzou grab like a top recruit this year because he was from Missouri. But like 
there was a lot of things like that happening where the wealth is starting to spread because, oh, well, let's keep this one kid home. Let's just pay a bunch of money and get this quarterback. Look what Nebraska just did with the quarterback. Like yeah. five years ago, that quarterback never ends up at Nebraska, right? Correct. Like yep. there, there's just That's no right. way. And so it, it, it has changed things. And there is a little bit of a leveling, despite the fact that we've had like six undefeated teams through 10 weeks this year. I still think none of those teams were unbeatable. They happen yeah. to be undefeated, but like we're seeing it now, like are any of these teams flawless? No. no, like I don't know who's going to win the Natty because no team has distinguished themselves. Georgia still might be the best team, and they're not yeah. in they're not in the playoffs. So it's uh it's an interesting time in college football, and we're getting a little bit of off topic, but it relates to the signing class and the fact that prize doing the right things to make us competitive. And the way you worded it earlier, you you bide your time, you fill out your roster, you develop, and then maybe you get that quarterback, maybe you get a player or two to put you over the top. And you can make a run and maybe our runs next year. Who knows? We've, we're yeah. going to have a veteran team coming back, but let's talk a, a little bit about before we get to the bowl. I want to mention the basketball team. We haven't done a basketball team update. It didn't go so well against wake recently. <laughs> we had one four in a row after the consecutive losses to FAU and Auburn. We beat Louisville, Valpo, Vermont, and American. None of those teams are very good Four comfortable victories though. And we saw some some great performances. We saw a performance from Lynn Kidd that was 17 and 11. And then against American, he dropped 31 and 11. Like, crazy. He, I think he went 14 of 15 from the field uh, against some lesser competition. But nevertheless, 31 points in a college game is pretty outrageous. We are currently 9 and 4. We sit at 63rd in the Ken Palm. Our tournament hopes are still alive. We have a win over number 17. Iowa State, 17 in the Ken Palm, and 64, Boise State in the Ken Palm. Those are decent wins. We have to play well in ACC play if we want to get into the tournament, without a doubt. The the Wake loss is demoralizing. We've had some demoralizing losses in the past. I think I think Wake might have done this to us last yeah. year or the year before. There was some Wake game that, that kind of went this direction. But we're going to have to start playing better and quick because we play Florida State on January 6th on the road in Tallahassee. They've always given us problems. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about the identity of this team. I think we know we have shooters. I think yeah. we know we could be a little bit more athletic at times, and that hurts us. Um, but when we're not shooting well, like we did in the first half against Wake, it gets ugly quick. Yeah. You look at the... It depends on how you want to look. You have four losses in this team. We're one and one in ACC play, but three of those losses were blowouts. Um, it's they, they did not go well. Three of the four, and I think where this team is struggling is in the past. We have, if we wanted to muddy up a game, and then we could we could kind of keep it a low scoring affair and use our defense to to keep us in a game. And what's happening with this team in particular is that if our opponent gets up to a first half lead, we are not able to really stop the momentum, to really box it in and shut it down and keep it a close game. What keeps happening is they're going to team goes up on a first half lead. We maybe inch up close and the momentum comes right back. And then we're getting kind of blown out. This team really needs to tighten up 
um, in order to um, make a decent run in ACC play and fill out that resume to see see where things are going to shake out the, at the end of the year. But the identity is confused yeah. a little bit, I think, is in comparison to what we had seen over the last five years. Well, I'll give you the re- one of the reasons why the identity seems confusing is our defensive rating on Ken Palm is higher than our offensive rating. Like when (laughs) that doesn't make sense for a Mike young team. I'm not saying that we've never played good defense, but I think you understand there that that doesn't really, we thought we'd kind of be lethal offensively at in from with this team, but the way they can shoot the ball at times. And it's, it's not really turned out like that. So I'm hoping they'll get themselves on track. And if I were going into the second half of the season, wanting one side of the ball to be better and looking for answers. I would rather the offense be looking for answers because I have faith that Mike will get it there. Coach Young, I should call him. He's not, I'm not yes. on a first base name basis with him, <laughs> despite meeting him. Coach Mike Young, my coach. I know that, uh, I know that he'll get it together offensively and we'll, we'll be, we'll be better down the stretch. Um, it's going to be tough though, to make that tournament this year. I'm hoping we can do it. And FSU is never, their size and their athleticism every time uh, yeah. is always kind of. They a, rarely have bad seasons. Last season was an aberration mm-hmm. for them, typically. Yeah. So, all right, let's do a quick ad read and we'll get to the game recap of the Military Bowl. 2D Pokies Under the Influence is brought to you by McCoy's Auto Repair in Radford. Who doesn't love supporting a local family owned and operated business? I know Robbie does, and you know I do. That's exactly what you get with McCoy's. They were established over 40 years ago offer full service, including major and minor repairs. They do oil changes and state inspections, all that run-of-the-mill stuff. You don't know where to go or take your car. Take it over to McCoy's. They can rebuild your transmission. They can rebuild your engine, diesel repair, fleet service. They do it all, and they also sell tires. I know the East Coast is about to get slammed with some snow. Make it. I think so. It looks like it. It's starting it's to look like it. DC is always that snow hole, but they might even get something down your way around. <laughs> but make sure you have your car all set up for the cold weather. Get those tires. And McCoy's can even pick up or drop you off too if you can't get to the shop with work. So head over to McCoy's Auto Repair in Radford for all of your vehicle maintenance needs or give them a call. The number's right on the screen, 540-639-2933. And you can also find them on Facebook. Just like that old hokey buddy of yours, McCoy's is a name you can trust. And McCoy's must have been our good luck charm because they got us a winning season. <laughs> First year right. with McCoy's, we're one in one, got a winning season. Look, could you ask for anything more right. in a sponsor? <laughs> if they're if they're gonna if they're gonna bring wins, then uh, they'll be our sponsor for a long time. That's right. Love it. Are you drinking anything over there, Rob? Uh just some green tea tonight. Not not having anything anything special. What uh what do you got going on over on your side? Well, I put out a picture on our Instagram of a handful of holiday beers I still had left over from from the season. Uh, make your own six pack stuff stuff people brought to my house or I picked up at my sister's place. But I'm drinking the Goose Island Christmas IPA. Oh, it is a beautiful looking can. Got the red and yeah. green on there. Haven't had a, a goose in a little bit on the show. Looks like you should make that into a sweater. <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah. can is very cool. It's got the Christmas ball on the back and everything. It's I'm I don't wouldn't know that it's a Christmas beer. Let me put it that way. If All if right. it weren't for the title. It's just like a straight up IPA, kind of like a almost like that winter warmer vibe 
Like I do feel like I'm warming up as I drink it. A little bit later, I'm about to crack this one. This is the Holiday Ale. I'm never going to. Yeah, I like that. From uh, New Belgium? New Belgium. And this okay. is another mainstream. So I got two mainstreamers tonight for the people that can grab these just about anywhere. I'll give a review on this as we go through our national championship picks. And finally, this is one of my every year favorites. I just wanted to show you. I already killed this one. Shiner Holiday Cheer. This has been out for a few years. It's kind of a weird one if you read the description. Uh, peaches and pecans. It's an ale mm-hmm. brewed with peaches and pecans. It just kind of has a little bit of a fruity taste. It's a light beer, 5.4%. But me and my cousin, Sean, we hit this every year. It is it's a really solid beer for if you're looking for a little change of pace from the the stouts or the ales or whatever. This this holiday cheer is a nice little fruity different kind of tasting beer. So you're saying that somebody at Goose Island like woke up two weeks before Christmas and was like, "Oh shit, we got to put out a Christmas uh, ale" and just like threw something in a can. That's exactly what happened. Like yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's exactly what happened because you know how a lot of times there's like a description. Oh, yeah. this has some spices. It's got some nutmeg. Yeah, they throw whatever. like some nutmeg in it. And it's like, okay, we're good. But at least we can. No, there's you know, no description. Out. It just says Christmas IPA on it. The, the New Belgium one, for instance, says flavors of cranberry and spice and everything nice. So like they're they're giving you a little something. So yeah. I'll try that one in a minute. Let's get into the game recap, man, because this Sweet. game, it kind of gave you a little bit of everything, including <laughs> including the weather. Uh, yeah. It started with a scoop and score for Tulane. The slippery ball was a sign of things to come. We answered with a field goal and recovered a muff punt that Drones ran in for a touchdown, a play later. Tulane tied it with a field goal, 10 to 10, and they were threatening, but they fumbled on the goal line, thanks to a great play by Feldarius Payne. Saved the score for the moment, um, but ultimately Tulane did tie it. And then we put together an 11-play, 75-yard drive capped with the TD pass to St. Germain, the first of two touchdown passes to tight ends on the day. That was right before the half. Started the second half with our fourth fumble of the day. Tulane capitalized on the TD run by Horton, tie game again. And that's what I thought at that point. I'm like, this is just going to be one of those days where like they're going to cover. We're not going to look good. I still felt like we'd get the win, but I was starting to get nervous. But that is when Kyron and Tootin went to work. There was a 50-yard run by Drones and a 44-yard run by Tootin on the next two drives that led to 10 points. Tulane did put a nice drive together, but it only got them a field goal. And after that, like we kind of started to run away with the drones was sensational on the next drive, had another long run, the throw to Gosnell for the score. And it was more or less over. We added a touchdown on the 12 yard run by Tootin 41 to 20 Hokies win. What was your prediction again, Rob? I said that I felt as though we could, this is the type of game that we should win by 21 points and we won by 21 <laughs> points. And I, I got blowback from all three of you. I, I gave that. you blowback. I, I admit it. I, I, I scoffed. Well, I, I should say there was a snicker when you immediately said it. French shook his head no. And I had my, I said, I have my Virginia Tech fear brain. I can't wrap my head around projecting a 21-point win. But kudos to you, man. You, you nailed it. I will one-up what I did on that. So <laughs> if you can believe it, this was my game. So I'm up in Ohio, and um, my brother-in-law 
is has is on a chain with a bunch of Ohio State guys. They do a they do a bet for going bowl games. So they'll all throw together five bucks. They put twenty five bucks in on a parlay. So they're like he's like, what should I bet on? So I gave him. I go through this huge list of all these bets. I said, give me Tootin receiving uh, for more than seven and a half yards. Drones just scoring a touchdown and then drones rushing for more than 56 yards. Dude, we hit the parlay in the first quarter. <laughs> and, and it wasn't, it took until the second quarter because drones had negative 18 yards, oh, if you remember, on yeah. that fumble. Yep. So that was negative yards, but he still put up whatever, 100 and, you know, 70 yards or some insane thing. So anyway, a, they hit the parlay, and then all the guys were like, Dude, why isn't this guy giving us bets like all the time? Like, <laughs> he, he he just destroyed this parlay. Though. What was the what was the plus on that parlay? Like what like do you know what the return was? I think it paid out like one seventy five or you know two hundred or something like that on a twenty five dollar bet. So nice. Plus, That's know, pretty legit. That's like plus eight hundred yeah. or something. Yeah, like. plus, yeah. So <laughs> it was and just demolished it that it was it was awesome that but is, that anyway is sweet. I got, you're feeling I got like a big guy at the party after that like. I, I, I was feeling awesome uh, i didn't put any money on it but it was, i helped some other people out i like it dude so what would you say your story of the game was oh actually hold on let me play the voicemails i got a couple oh, yeah i got a couple of calls um not too many but it'll make you laugh we are here in annapolis maryland we're eating wings. We're eating damn good pizza by Stephen Wright, VT. Hey, Pete and Robbie, what's going on? What a great bowl game win. Get us to 7 to 6 at the end of the year. We were able to dominate up front in the rain and the nasty weather. We are going to take everything that they give us and turn it into gold. Had some turnovers, but both teams had those. That's that's gonna that's gonna happen in that sloppy field, but I'm gonna tell you these offensive Hokies and the defensive guys that we got coming back is very promising moving forward. And what are they? They turn this is gonna be our touchdown. Let's go Hokies! Let's go Hokies! Okay, oh, there, <laughs> that was that was hack. He, he yeah. I think he was having some fun. Uh, I think so <laughs> before the game and yeah. uh, the best part was like at the end first of all like I couldn't even tell what he was saying there was an expletive no. in there but it was like blah 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 it's gonna be our touchdown like it was yeah. just like yeah. something just nonsense gibberish and then the let's go like, I'm <laughs> expecting like a crowd of tailgate people to all respond it's no, like one nothing. guy just, just one guy yeah, <laughs> yeah. yelling hokies uh, I loved it I loved it great Great voicemails and a, a great way to cap off the season right there on voicemails because it's it's been a wild season on the uh, on the voicemail channel. It really it. has been. I think I might compile all of the voicemails and yeah. put them out in like a little, you know, extra show at some point mm -hmm. in the next couple of weeks. But I, uh, that. Uh, that, I feel like that could be a fun trip down uh, memory lane there. But um Sloppy conditions in this one. What yeah. was your story of the game? You know, 300 yards on the ground, um, I think, uh, or 300 and, uh, or 200 and whatever, 80 yards, 90 yards uh, between, um, no, it was 300. It was 360, yeah. Yeah, yeah 360. Um, 
I think that's got to be it. It, it. The combination of what drones and Tutin were doing to them, in particular in the second half, and demoralizing that in the combination of the offensive line, really putting an you know an exclamation point on a season of improvement. What what really started as um, I wouldn't even say concern, almost panic amongst the fan base on what was going to be happening and what that offensive line meant and the development and the progression of them into the end of the season in order to to really win and then by the end of the game really demolish um, them in the trenches, I think was the story for me. Yeah, they, they were able to wear them down. And part of the story was just the the conditions and the ball being loose so much i felt like there was at least eight times that the ball was on the ground maybe nine uh, but it was our run game and the rushing attack by drones and tootin and that combination has to be the story of the game i read this on one of the notes on Hokie sports from damian salas that it was the most rush yards in a game for the Hokies since 2009 and um, against marshall when we went for 444 when we had like those that trio of of running backs um so yeah it was a special performance i still need to go back and check i I don't think he's putting out and i could have just read it wrong but that's what the game that came up was the 2009 marshall game so it's like dang that was a really impressive rushing performance and it came against a team that was a top 10 rush defense throughout the year i know they're in the aac but like that was what they did. They stopped the run throughout the season with some great D line play. And guess what? Those guys played. They weren't, yeah. even though they were in the portal, like they all played in the game. Um, maybe they didn't have their defensive coordinator. I don't care. The players yeah. were there and we ran all over them 7.2 yards per carry with that 362. It wasn't just like we ran it 70 times. Like we, we were getting good chunks of yardage. And you noted there were a couple losses. Like we had the 18 yard loss. There was another seven yard loss. Drones had, I think negative 30 rushing yards due to some of the fumbles. And we still put up 360. So it it was ridiculous. 453 total yards of offense in what was basically a monsoon for, (laughs) for a a lot of the game, 6.4 yards per play. So I was so impressed with what drones did in this game. Yes, the you hit on it. My only takeaway concern is <laughs> the weather was so bad. The the ball, the continued issues with the ball security. I get it early on, even with the scoop and score. It's like you know you got to get your head right, and it's like the ball is going to be slippery as hell. You got to be good. Put two hands on it, that kind of thing. But it just like kept happening throughout the game. It like it repeated. Um, and I thought that would have been cleaned up uh, by the you know, you know, second half, and it was just a, a continuous problem. But it was bad weather. I'm not really that wrapped up about it. Uh, drones just, I mean, it was just so punishing on what he was doing, and they had no answer for it whatsoever. And when they tried to contain him, then Tootin would really just you know punish him. So overall... It was just a, a really nice game, and honestly, it was really nice setup for next season and a demonstration of what this team can do with all these playmakers. 
I know. And it's funny because those two players, they accounted for all of the touchdowns. Drones had three total. Tootin had two. And French was commenting in his article that, like, the progressions that it wasn't just his running. He was checking the ball down when he needed to, making the right decisions. And that is a very positive moving forward. Not to mention the career high in rushing yards or the military bowl record for rushing yards yeah. or the VT bowl record for rushing yards, which he had. Uh, he actually did show growth as well in just being a quarterback going through progression. So that was awesome. Tootin, 136 yards, two touchdowns. Tulane hadn't given up a 100-yard game to a running back in 34 games. Wow. And <laughs> there you go. Tootin just there you go. blasted that by 36 yards. So that was awesome. One thing I got from the Roth report, which I, I love what Bill Roth does with some of his analysis, and that went up on Hokie Sports too. Tech is tied now going into the national title game with the lead in the nation with 16 runs of 30 yards or more because hmm. we had three in that game. Wow. I did not, uh, I did not even think about that as something that we would be leading the nation. in. that's awesome. And some of, I mean, obviously most of that is tooting and drones, but like yep. we had Tucker Holloway, XTB, some of the other guys contributing as well. So that is, that is really cool. And French also pointed out in his uh, thing that he put up, it was a good showing by the OL, especially as the game wore on. It was a yeah. stout run D, but they were blocking well, particularly Caden Moore. And the skill position players were blocking yeah. really well. Lane, uh, Aiden Green was blocking well even, and he had that really sweet catch. Um, yeah. the, he mentioned some other guys. Felton had a good block here or there and, and whatever. But with... Daquan Wright, our starting tight end, not playing. Seeing those two tight ends block well, catch well. You got Nick Gallo coming back. It's exciting, man. Like, it is yeah. really exciting right now. I would agree. And um, I'll, I'll finish. I will dovetail the rushing performance into the defense by saying one could make the argument that in a sloppy weather day that you're always going to have an advantage uh, running the ball, and there's going to be more yards on the ground. However, the counterpoint to that is we went up against a really solid running back um, in Hughes and held him to 88 yards on 15 carries. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, we really stymied him for most of the first half, and he had a series or two where he really broke off some chunk plays and made up most of those 88 yards. Um, and then we tightened down on him again, uh, subsequent to that. So if, if you want to take the thought process that some of that rushing success had to do with the weather, then I think you also have to look at what the defensive line and the linebackers were able to do against a really solid running back. Right. They had a, a very good running. And you know what? I think if you're a Tulane fan right now, you're sitting there looking at Hughes's carries and you're like, it's pouring rain. We're playing with these backup quarterbacks and you're not giving me the ball basically every play. Cause he had a good average. Now I agree with you. Some of that was because of 
a, a break mm-hmm. here or there, but that's how running backs operate. Like maybe yeah. if he would gotten 10 more carries, he could have broken some, but to, to our luck or to the way we, our defense was showing the looks, they didn't run him as much. We only gave up 252 yards and 4.7 yards per play. And them getting 20 points was mostly due to, to turnovers. I mean, the, yeah. the scoop and score was seven. And then yep. the other one was the short field that, that we gave them. So if we held onto the ball better or just a few things swung the other way, like we could have won this game by three or four scores, but I overall, even with that stuff going wrong, I thought the defense had a really nice day. Like they, they ultimately, when they had to buckle down, they buckled down and this was my favorite stat. And I'll let you give a few observations. One red zone TD in five chances for Tulane. Yeah. One TD. Man, did they they really tightened up when they got into the red zone? That was I was surprised when I looked at the stat line afterwards that it was one sack. Granted, six tackles for a loss, but there was a lot more havoc in this game than the stats let on. And that the defensive line I was extremely impressed with and what they did in this game. And um they yeah, it, it kind of sucks because we're losing those guys, but it, you know, I am very happy for them because their performance was excellent in this game. And um, overall, uh, I couldn't I couldn't really have asked for more because aside, if you take away the ball security issues, as you said, the defense played an absolutely lights out game. Yeah, they did. And they I, I still think even with the ball security issues, they played a lights out game because you got you can't really punish them for, you know, really 14 of those points or so. Yeah. And there was those six tackles for loss. Two of them were by Jenkins, who I I don't know what his story is yet. We're still waiting to hear his final determination on whether he'll come back, but he was good. Most Phillips making the start at one of the safety positions, put up seven tackles and that forced fumble. Mm -hmm. We had talked about him in fall camp. Like we'd been hearing good things about most Phillips. I think this was a nice building block for him and that he could be a very key player for us this year, next year. And then Tisdale French said he probably played his best game of the season and maybe his best game in a couple years. And so that Mm -hmm. is awesome for him because he's, he's going to be going out the door, but he is going to do an interview with Pat and Billy, I think uh, later this week. So look for that on the sons of Saturday channel to get, get an interview with, with Tisdale, who like he's been around forever, man. He's seen so many different coaches and everything, uh, yeah. position coaches, head coaches. Like he's been through a lot, um, and has been lightning. He played like fifty games or something, like absolutely ridiculous That's number nice. of games over the years. So uh, I would look for that interview, but played a great game, and the defense just it was a team effort, and they really mm-hmm. they really came to play. If you look at our final season numbers. We finished number 20 in total defense, which that's a stat that people don't love as much anymore, but it's still impressive. We were two in the ACC, number two uh, in yards per play, a stat you know I like a little bit better. We were third in the ACC and 28th overall. So this was a top 30 defense by a lot of different metrics. And you had said before the year, your hot take was <laughs> a top 25 defense in SP+. Now, we didn't quite get there. I know. But we were 
close in so many other categories. I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> that was damn. That was really that was, and that was kind of. I'm trying to think back on that as as a guess for the season, but it happened in a way that was obviously much different than I anticipated. But um, the building blocks are really where where it all formed. So um, I'll take I'll take credit for it. We were also number one in pass yards allowed per game in the ACC, uh, and then sit. But it, that's a little misleading because we didn't play ton of great passers and teams could run on us. So they did sixth and passer rating allowed the final one. And I think one that we all want to hear the most 11th in the nation in sacks per game. Like that wow. is, that is amazing. Like I, I don't care what the O lines were. I don't care what the competition was. You put up that many sacks and you finish number 11 and number two in the ACC when you've got Florida state and Clemson in your conference. Yeah, that is impressive. I agree. Um, in this game, and Louisville, who had a good defense, right? I Louisville, mean, all, they they did have a good defense. You're right. Special teams were in this game. Let's just for this game, they were fine. The two field goals. I, it looks like we got our kicker because all year mm-hmm. we've been praising John Love. You said he was the biggest snub on the All ACC thing. Two field goals, one from 51. I mean, yep. this this kid's awesome. And then we had that muffed punt recovery. So yes. we didn't really get a chance to return any kicks on this one. I think Tootin had a couple like kickoff returns or whatever. 61 yards for Tootin uh, on three kick returns yeah. is what he had. So a 20. But average. it still, it was uh, a plus on the special teams uh, side of things. Better than Michigan. Yep. <laughs> yeah, for, certainly. Yeah. Yes. Um, final thoughts and takeaways. I already said the thing about us. If we had held onto the ball a little bit better, this would have been a larger margin of victory. Did you have like any commentary or thoughts just on the way it played out? And obviously it kind of went the way you expected. It it went exactly how I expected. I said, if you really believed in this team for next season and what they could do, playing, playing in the military bowl, having it be a relatively home field advantage and returning seven stud, um, players for next season this was not a game that i would have seen us mailing it in in fact it it was very much the opposite this is a game that they were using as a stepping stone for 2024 and that's what we saw on the field um so um i who knows if there was more adversity not just a scoop and score if we went down by 21 points i don't know what we would have seen but the way that it transpired is is what I thought would happen, and that's showing out what these players are capable of for a building block for next season. Yeah, and I was very satisfied because you know that I was nervous going into this game. This was an 11-win team, and once I saw that a, a number of their key defensive players were going to play, I just felt like, okay, this isn't... Because you know our schedule, the way it played out, we played... Good teams, and we played bad teams. And we played the bad teams, we crushed them, played the good teams, it was a struggle. And yep. this was an in-between team. Without Pratt, I, I would still put them in that in-between category. And we went out there, and we still won the game by three scores, something we did to a number of you know lesser teams this year. But this was a ranked win. And that's yep. just a fact. I, I know Pratt wouldn't play, but I don't care. They were ranked. 
We beat them. They won 11 games, and we beat them. It This is this was a big win, and, and not just because they're ranked, because that's all on perception. It's a big win for our momentum into this offseason. Yeah. And Pry had talked about that repeatedly. And I have always pushed back on the idea that bowls don't mean anything. And I think you've been in the same camp. They mean a lot from a fan base engagement and excitement perspective. That would be kind of how I would phrase it. Selling the winning season in year two from your coach in the recruiting trail, that's going to be huge. It could help us get ranked in the AP poll going into next year, potentially, which would be great for program perception. These games are far from meaningless. It's the way I would put it. Like I just, I think a lot can be, your program can be helped quite a bit by going out, playing well, and winning your bowl game. So that narrative that bowl games are meaningless is kind of a crock of, of shit for a couple of reasons. Yeah, one, it is not meaningless for teams one through four. Obviously, because now they are in competing for the national one through championship, 12. <laughs> right? One, soon to be one through twelve. It it's not meaningless for teams twelve to thirty, um, and really beyond. If you if you think about it, maybe at the back end you start to see some fall off because it's like you know this isn't really going to do much for us. But for teams twelve to like thirty five, bowl games are important. Um, or unless you're in the ACC and you have an ego, um, and you're like, oh, we don't need, we don't need it, but it is because I, I was listening to the Ohio state guys all trash on the fact that they were playing in, you know, a, a BS game that they didn't really care about and you know, all that stuff. But, and, and that's true. I don't think Ohio state only putting up three points and really just, you know, shooting themselves in the foot in that game and not being able to amount to any offensive production um, that means all that much for them, but that's because they're recruiting at such a high level. Their, their talent is at such a high level. They don't need to take and get all the small wins in order to really put together a great 2024 season. Um, The teams 12 through 30 need things to go right for them and they need building blocks. They have the building blocks right? They have the infrastructure, they have the recruiting talent, all those sorts of things The the teams 12 through, you know, 35 need to do all the small things right in order for it to build into something that's bigger. And this is a, this is a part of doing the small things, right? This is going to link perfectly into the thing I wanted to talk about next, which was thoughts on the program and pry and, and linking into uh, Shelton Moss's article that he put out on TKP. But I did want to mention first that regarding Ohio state, quickly. Since 1978, when D1 expanded to its current form, more or less, um, and having the D1A, which has now become FBS, Ohio State has precisely two national championships, 1978 to 2023, two national championships. It's not like they win this thing every year. So maybe you should take the Cotton Bowl a little bit more seriously next time. Like that, like that's my thing. Like, Everyone thinks like, oh, Ohio State and Penn State and these teams, they all like, they all win. Nobody wins. Like Alabama wins. Nobody else wins. Like even Georgia, it took them 40 years to get back to the title and win it. Um, That's right. So like, 
you should relish these opportunities to play in a sugar bowl, a cotton bowl, a fiesta bowl. I, I, the fact that people don't take these things seriously is, is silly to me, but I don't have an NFL future. So what do I know? And, and I would agree with what you just said. Look at Texas. So yeah. look who was look who was on the sideline for Texas. The last time that they were relevant was when that quarterback was starting. And guess what? He looked old as shit <laughs> on that sideline. He did. And he, he, did. he looked old. And, and guess what? Texas has one title since 1978, but, and that was Vince Young. Exactly. <laughs> but even even the best teams in the most fertile like recruiting grounds with oil money coming out their ears can go decade or decades without even reaching it. So it's like you can act above it, but the narrative and the numbers don't lie that you're really not. No. So get over it. And but, that's what annoys me so much about – I know Florida State got screwed. We went over it repeatedly, and we were on Florida State's side. But Kirby Smart's comments after the game were 100%. Like it was – that was stupid. Like what yeah. they – that game, they should have just boycotted like 63 yeah. to three or whatever it was. Like mm-hmm. that was an absolute joke. How <laughs> then again, Georgia did that to TCU in the national championship. The year before, so. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's just Georgia. But anyway, yeah. I wanted to link it back to the, the Pry article that, that Shelton put out because our conversation and just the idea about bowl games links to culture and what Pry is seems to be building at Virginia Tech. And the quote that I'm I'm taking from Shelton is in today's age, bowl games are a reflection of a team's culture. Yeah. And I should and I think maybe if I could editorialize that, it would be bowl game performance is a reflection of a team's culture. Because there's plenty of teams that that go to bowls. And I think that's what he meant more or less meant. And if you read the article, which is fantastic and you should read it. It's great. But the idea that bowls and the way you participate and the way you play to be a reflection of your culture, I think is spot on. He highlighted the many opt-outs, the early NFL departures and transfers during the Fuente years. And the thing that me and you had talked about many times that guys didn't want to play for him one second longer than they absolutely had to. Like once they had a chance to go to the NFL, they were gone. As soon as they could transfer with any reasonable tape, they were gone. And that is not what we're seeing with Coach Pry. Yeah, it it's not. And let me give you an example of that, that I think will nail the head that like the, this perfectly. And I'm going to use, I know we've been talking a lot about Big Ten teams, but let's just use this as an example. Let's take this season and how it played out. What do you think would have happened if Michigan played Georgia in the Cotton Bowl. So, okay, so Michigan did make the CFP, and they're playing a quote-unquote meaningless game. Uh, I think Harbaugh's guys would have played. That's my point. And that, and that is that is a culture. If you want to explain what's happening at Ohio State right now versus what's happening at, like, Ohio State still believes that their shit doesn't stink and they're too good for what they're playing in. And Harbaugh's team does not. They are gritty. They are tough. They are in there. They would they would play Georgia and look at that game and not maybe not relish it. They would be bummed that they didn't, like they should be, that they didn't make it into the college football playoff. But I guarantee you 
that even if they were missing a quarterback, any of those things, they would have put put up a better fight than a 64-3 game. Well, we have an example, and it's when Jake Butt decided to play in the bowl game, and he blew up his knee, and he, he compromised his NFL career. Guess what? He still chose to play in the game, and that was a That's hardball right. team. I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. he that was under the hardball regime. And, so, and I think you're right, though. There is that That's buy-in right. there, and it was clear – in the military bowl, a soggy, crappy tier three bowl. We wanted to be there. We wanted to win. And it showed in the way we played, which reflects on Pry and his staff and their ability to get buy-in. And it's right in our intro. If you listen to our intro on the podcast feed, he says, relationships are very important to me. And it's, it's the signing day stuff with the draft and the families being there on video. It's the high school coaches being invited to the bowl practices. It is yeah. all about building relationships and reaping those rewards down the line, whether it's the first time you get the recruit or like we said, finishing second place and, and getting it. But Pry, and, and I think like some of our fans and we, we joke about this, like him being like, thanks for coming out. You know, our fans are the best in the nation and all. He is a master of communication. Mm -hmm. He is so articulate. He knows exactly what to say. Think about his interviews though, even post game interviews, podcast interviews. There is some coach speak. There's obviously always some, but he is usually exceedingly genuine and honest compared to most coaches. Like he's one of the very few coaches of any of my teams, if, you know, Philly Sixers, uh, Eagles, like that I watch his pressers and I feel like I learned something. It's not just right. a bunch of fluff like, oh yeah, we're going to hit the next play hard. We played together. Like, no, I feel like I learned something. It's, it's not fluff. And so like, yeah. that is the difference with him. And Listen, we, we got our first winning season in a while. We could potentially be victims of the moment, but like it comes back to that joke of Pry gets it. He just yeah. gets it organizationally, culturally, and I feel like he's the right guy to bring us back. And we could be on the precipice of that. Yeah. It yes. I I couldn't agree more. And college football has changed more dramatically in like the last five years than it did in the previous 20. And I think that is a very easy statement to make given what happened with transfer rules and what happened with NIL. And if you are not one of the top eight teams in recruiting and stuff like that, you need to relook the way that you are as a program mm -hmm. and how you are approaching things. And it is, some said, that building a culture doesn't matter now. I think we may look back in 15 years and say for the tier two teams, building a culture was more important now than it ever was, yep. um, period. Owning your recruiting ground, especially if you're in a fertile area like we are, it, it, building the fan base to get money into the program, to be able to throw NIL money at guys, that requires fan buy-in, which requires a coach that's approachable and likable when you aren't one of the schools that just brings in money, regardless of whether things are going well or things are going shitty. To be in an area like Blacksburg, which is awesome 
but it's off the beaten path. It's four and a half hours from DC, right? You have to make it a destination for people to go be a part of that culture. There Now, I think, is we're going to look back and realize that saying and doing the right things and being honest with the fan base and with the players and building not i for i wouldn't say we're like a michigan toughness type culture i think we are more of a commitment type culture which is like let's build a team together and make it stick together and yes we'll be fair with our dealings and fair with how we pay our players and i think that will carry us as far as we can go because there is a ceiling on the programs that are outside of of that top six to eight there just are yeah. and that ceiling you could look at not as a one-year ceiling but as a multi-year ceiling right there that is very hard for anybody like that and we saw it with tcu you see it with washington how long it took them to get back after they were in the playoff before there is a lot of build that has to happen and things have to go your way and you have to make your own luck by doing the right things when nobody's looking and I think our staff knows that and recognizes that. And I think it's refreshing to have a plan because one of my bigger beefs with Fuente was not his game day coaching or his demeanor with the press or anything like that or shutting off practices. It was, I didn't feel like there was a plan. When I see there's 12 running backs on the roster, there's no plan. I don't know where your recruiting ground is because you're bringing from Texas and you're bringing from here and here and here. And it doesn't make any sense. There was a lack of organization and there was a lack of a plan. We have that now. At the very least, we have that now. And it seems to be getting results. And with the bowl win, think about the, you were talking a little bit about the buy-in from the fans and the money and stuff. Think about how much that bowl win and just the success at the end of the season will have on ticket sales for next year, on the spring game and people attending, the interest in the program, merch, all of that stuff. And that, you know, that builds. And then you add that to this and you keep it just, that's what's exciting about right now is because the hardest part is where we were two years ago, you know, yeah. building it from nothing ripping it down to the studs hiring a whole new staff starting relationships all over again winning three games like you have nothing to sell other than we're going to be different take my word for it we're going to be different now there is a result to point to we won we had a winning season in year two and you know how excited our fans are going to be and that, it's the beauty of expectations, right? Because there were several yeah. years where we won 10 games and we come back the next year and we're not as excited as we're going to be for this upcoming season. You know what I'm saying? That's right. <laughs> yes. Expectations go a long way. And, you know, showing that your use of, 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 of money and who it's going to is, is leading to real results is important, I think. Uh, and that's... Yep, that's another another piece of this. So I, I'm I'm I am very very pleased um, with how the season ended up and what this team ended up accomplishing. And and you talk about how years you know three wins and then starting and ripping it down. The team went through a micro version of that in the middle of the season, right? <laughs> True. It, it, so 
like it, it, sometimes there's the big trends, there's the medium trends, and there's the small trends, you know, and they seem to be aligning together, and which is nice. Yeah, and we could talk about that turnaround. That's something the TSL guys discussed, something that Shelton discussed a little bit in his article. In his article. We could go through that for another 20 minutes, <laughs> but we'll save, yeah. we'll save the listeners from that. Before we get to our national championship discussion and close this thing out, the 2D Pokies Under the Influence podcast is also brought to you by Roback. You guys know Roback. It's the performance active wear designed for those who crave activity. It's the same polo company that had the VT polo, the VT quarter zip. They had a couple different VT polos, including the white with the maroon Virginias and then the maroon on maroon quarter zip. That's the Commonwealth and the Berg. Go to Roback.com. You can find those, but you can also find shorts, joggers. They have things your wife would love, like these full body suits. Uh, my wife sees them every time. Like I go to the site, especially over Christmas. I was buying a few things and she's like, oh, I want that. And it's like, okay, let's 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 hold back on a few things in the car. But like, <laughs> yeah, you can get that 20% off your order using code 2DVT. So if you do want to get your wife something nice, it's the new year new wife, new life, new year, whatever it might be, treat her to something nice. Go to roback.com, use code 2DVT. Oh, they got the tennis skirts too. And of course, the polos. So head over to Roback, load up your cart, crave activity. I wanted to ask you about the national championship game, the line right now, Michigan minus four and a half. Think about that for one second. This holiday ale from new belgium is awesome it's it's, you know what it is it is a it's a pumpkin beer but swap out the pumpkin and replace it with cranberry like it's got it's got those spices and that flavor but it's Mm. light but it's it's got that cranberry sweetness so i would almost say remember the uh shipyard pumpkin head Mm -hmm. it's like that but with cranberry instead of the pumpkin flavor that's how oh i like that it's good I'm enjoying it. What are your thoughts on uh, on how this game's going to play out? If you listen to the podcast the last five to nine weeks when I've been all over Washington, it feels as though I have to be all over Washington again. But that Michigan team with a cleaned-up special teams uh, – would have been very hard for anybody in the nation to beat. That that game would have been very different uh, if you don't have that early touchdown um, from Alabama on you know that that muff punt. They had another muff punt um, that was nearly catastrophic for them uh, near the end zone that screwed up one of their drives. Uh, just a, a a lot of just mistakes throughout that game. I think if that was all cleaned up that Michigan team is, is very tough to beat. Uh, that said, I, this is that Michigan defense against this Washington offense is going to be awesome. I mean, I, I don't know what the hell is going to happen. Uh, that is strength on strength, uh, to no end. So I, I'll, I'll see. I think the bigger question is whether Michigan's in particular Michigan's run offense, um, has its has its way with Washington's defense and I don't I don't know what that's going to look like. I 
I think I'm with your original thought in that I like Washington in this game. And I was not a Washington believer for most of the year. I thought Oregon would get the best of them the second time around because the game was in Washington. But Washington, they went out and beat them in the Pac-12 title game, and they followed that up with a win over a very good Texas team who had beaten Alabama earlier in the year. So you can say, no, Washington hasn't beaten any team by a couple scores in weeks and weeks and weeks. I know that. And we could go all the way back to October, and you could keep saying that, but they keep winning. And they've got NFL players on the outside. Their D-line, they made life hard for Quinn Ewers in that game. They yeah. they really did. And their offensive line is spectacular. And so mm-hmm. while Michigan was dominant, especially earlier in the year, when they played Penn State, when they played Ohio State, do you think they dominated those games? They, they won those games, no. and they won yeah. them – handily but they didn't dominate and against alabama they almost lost and that's an alabama team that's kind of one-dimensional and and so i have questions about michigan they were my number one team all year like i think i might have swapped them out of the number one spot once in my playoff four like i had them at number one before the season and i had them at number one for like 13 out of 14 weeks and so i like michigan a lot but i don't think any team this year is elite elite as i said earlier and washington just they have dudes and they have the better quarterback like those nerves from mccarthy that we saw at the beginning Mm -hmm. he threw a pick on the first play (laughs) yeah and that's true they overturned it but like that was a pick or should have been and like he wasn't great now their offensive philosophy the way they like to play bully ball with quorum it could lead to possessions that would favor the outcome of Michigan. But mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to get that chance. Like, I don't know if they're going to be able to, to sit and run the ball all day, because I think every time that Washington goes out there, like we did see, there was a few times where the Michigan DBs were struggling. And, mm-hmm. and I know that, that Bama didn't pass for a lot of yards, but like they, it's a completely different quarterback, completely different. Yes. And so I think that that's going to put a ton of pressure on former VT commit Mike Sanistrill or whatever it is back there and Cam Good on the defensive line. I think that yeah. Washington's going to win the game. And if you're giving me points, like I'm going to take those points. I would take the points as well. I, I think everything sets up for... I'll be surprised if there's a situation where, you know, Washington loses by... 10 points or 14 points. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. I think this is going to be a close game because either, either the game is going to look like what we just saw against Texas where Washington has control because of their offense throughout the game. And, you know, maybe Michigan kind of tries to claw its way back in or Washington is dangerous whenever they are on the field. You could be up by 10 points and that could in a blink of an eye with those wide receivers and that quarterback be a long 60 yard touchdown. And this is back to a three point game. Mm -hmm. So I, I know it would be a lot to ask for after those two great games that we just had, but I, I have a feeling that this could be another really good one. Think about the pressure 
that both Oregon and Texas were under in both of those games. Like there was a general feeling we need to keep up with this team. If they do that to Michigan, do you think JJ McCarthy is capable of keeping up? Now they, they could, their defense could stymie Penix. They could get to him. They could hit him and it could be a different outcome, but I feel like Washington's going to put up points. And I just don't know if, if the Blake Corum running game is going to be enough to keep up with that. I mean, I will say this. Blake Corum is an absolutely ridiculous running. Oh, I love, I mean, he, he's, he is, he was dead to rights on a number of plays and then turned them into 15 yard, you know, runs on that. So if, no, my answer is no, but what I could see is a consistent four quarters of continually getting first downs mm-hmm. and wearing down this Washington defense with Corum and then that allowing some opportunities for McCarthy to make a throw here and there. I do not see this as an explosive team. What Michigan needs to keep ahead of the chains and just make this a consistent effort for their offense and wear down this Washington defense. They cannot get into an explosive football game against Washington. Right. That will not go well. They need to slow the game down. They got to keep it, and that's going to be hard to do whenever Washington sees the field. But when they have the ball, they need to slow it down, stay ahead of the chains, five-yard chunks, and then just drain out the clock over the course of four quarters. Unlike the last game, Michigan needs to play mistake-free football. Or I, I just I don't think they can withstand the number of mistakes they made against Alabama yeah. and win the game against Washington, which sounds weird, but like yeah. with how lethal the, the Washington offense is, Alabama didn't have the ability to make Michigan pay enough for all of the mistakes they made. Washington yep. does. And so Michigan oh, needs yeah. to play a mistake-free game. And I, hey, man, I'm excited to watch it with you. And we're going to get a schedule out there for for the game watch. I'm going to get it to the boys, and then we'll uh, we'll get it out on Twitter or X for the, the amount of guests and the, the time slots and all that kind of stuff. And listen, this is going to be a challenge. We've got a lot of different people that are going to be coming into the stream, so we're going to do our best to manage it. But I guarantee you this. It is going to be a fun viewing experience for all of you that decide to spend the national championship game on the Sons of Saturday YouTube channel. But I'm going to take Washington with the points, and I'm going to t- if I was sprinkling some on the money line, that's what I would do. And that I think is that you're going to take them with the points. You know, I have to take Washington. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't I can't sell out on them now after <laughs> after taking them against Oregon and that silly nine point spread or whatever it was dude you were calling for them you said nine weeks ago it was close to that i mean i because i said i was like i think i like oregon you're like no i'm going with washington and i was like oh okay i just think you've been more prescient is that the right word prescient this year is that how you say it yeah (laughs) yeah yeah this this year i've been i've just i've kind of seen things a little bit more clearly (laughs) penix is He's just so good. I mean, he's he's just and I who knows what he'll end up being, you know, when he gets to the if he makes it to the NFL and what he does there and stuff like that. But he is a such a rock star uh yeah. you know, college quarterback. It's awesome to watch. He really is. He reminds me, and this isn't the best comparison, but like he reminds me of watching Deshaun Watson in college. Yeah. Like that's that's what he reminds me of, which which leads me to believe he'll be a good pro, but but yeah. who knows before before all the the BS went down. Anyway, 
that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for hanging out with us this season. Uh, it, it was a fun one. It was, it was one um, we didn't see coming after the first four weeks and we turned it around and we finished with a bowl win in Annapolis. So I am stoked about what the future holds for Hokie football. Rob and I will be back at some point in the near future, but the first thing you're going to get is college football Monday national championship special. Make sure you're tuned in next Monday night at seven 30. And until next time, go Hokies. <laughs>